Ocho. This would maybe be three episodes in a row where we say the Spanish version of the yeah. episode, so it might be a little played out. Oh, really? I, oh, I wasn't here for the last three episodes, so I yeah, guess... Yeah, I'm... we know. <laughs> okay, here we are. Lost on the River, episode eight. I'm Bill Furby. We've got Aaron Sharp here. <laughs> I didn't know what was happening. We're just, we're just, we're just going right this. into it. Episode 8 of Lost on the River. Welcome right. back for another episode of Lost on the River. Live from the Her... Not live. Recorded live. Yeah. From the Herzog Studios. It's live to us. We're live right live. now. And... Uh, Super excited. This is going to be a great live? one. Was a great. That? Was oh, that live? wow. Was that, that was... live? That was live. Super excited about this one. Let me tell you what I've got lined up. Please. Uh, uh, Ricky Nye. Yes, lo- lo- yes, yes. Very, very, very talented, well-known local piano player. We world all love famous. Ricky. Absolutely. Uh, he's going to swing by and play uh, a couple tunes for us and get into uh, some background on a couple events that he has coming up here at the Herzog Space, including a boogie-woogie clinic on March 29th and a tribute to King artist Moon Mulliken on May 4th. Uh, and then additionally... We have Miss Andorra Adkins and Kent Butts, both uh, key figures with the uh, King Records building in Evanston and that story. And uh, I, I have a feeling we're going to get into a lot of great stuff with them as well. Super excited to talk to those two. And, of course, uh, Ricky and I, as always, a pleasure to have uh, for conversation. What a guy. What a guy. Let's get right to it. Well, astute listeners will be aware we, we have a hist- historical segment to every episode here. Uh, this this time around, it's Aubrey Wilson Mulliken, uh, March 1909 to uh, passed in January of 1967, commonly known as Moon Mulliken, king of the hillbilly piano players, king records artist, uh, boogie-woogie pianist, uh, uh, did a lot of, of great tracks for King, I believe, uh, their, their best-selling artist, uh, and, and actually ties in very well to our musical guest uh, for this episode, Ricky Nye. And uh, it, actually, I'm going to let Ricky kind of get into a little bit of uh, Moon's history during our interview. Just very briefly, uh, Mulliken uh, was associated with the hillbilly boogie style, uh, influenced rockabilly, major influence on Jerry Lee Lewis. Uh, his, his adult influences were uh, both blues artists such as Blind Lemon Jefferson, Bessie Smith, and the country artists like Jimmy Rogers and Bob Wills. So as with King Records itself, you've got many different worlds coming together to create something entirely new and really paving the way, uh, not just musically, but but culturally speaking as well, some very wide-ranging implications with with what happened there at at King Records. So this is going to be a fantastic episode. We have a lot of great complimentary things coming together. And uh, with that, uh, we'll go to Ricky. So let's welcome our first guest this evening, Ricky Nye. Uh, No stranger to the Cincinnati music scene. Ricky, you've been around doing this thing for a very long time. Everybody knows you at this point. Uh, They can catch you at Arnold's on a regular basis, and uh, you've been known far and wide for your boogie-woogie piano style. And we're super excited to have you here this evening and uh, to talk about you know some of your influences as well as what's coming up we've got uh, you've got this boogie woogie work- workshop coming up at Herzog and an upcoming tribute to King Records artist Moon Mulliken also coming up here at Herzog so we're very excited to have you here tonight uh, Ricky Nye ladies and gentlemen welcome aboard thanks for being here yeah thanks a lot so what's going on? What's, tell us about what you've got coming up with this workshop, the Boogie Woogie Workshop at Herzog. Uh, the idea is to introduce people to fundamentals of this style of, of, this style of piano playing. Uh, 
of Boogie Woogie and of piano blues, which I came into Boogie Woogie late in life. I was 40 years old before I ever knew anything about this style of music. I had elements of it in my playing, but it's a very particular style and has a lot of parameters and a lot of rules. So uh, back in 96, I met two important pianists to me, Bob Seeley from Detroit and Carl Sonny Leyland, who is from Southampton, England, but he's been living here in the U.S. for a long, long time. Anyway, I met these guys and they really lit my fire. You know, I, I, I knew Big Joe Duskin, but when I met him, and he was a dear friend too, but when I met him, he wasn't playing boogie woogie like he used to. His health was starting to get the best of him and he was playing a, a lot of blues and, and singing so great like, sure. he, like he did. You say 40 years old now. So when did you start playing piano and did you have... Did you have a particular style that you uh, really kind of relied on for most of your adult life before Boogie Woogie, or were you just doing what? What, what kind of led into that? Uh, I started on accordion was my first instrument when I was five really? years wow. old. Wow! Yep, and uh, when I was about eight, I realized it wasn't cool. You were that kid. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, everybody back back in my time, everybody played accordion. They had a little. Wow. Music uh, classrooms where kids would all bring their accordions and, you know, and learn how to play. So uh, it wasn't long after that I got into playing Hammond organ and also got into drumming. My folks acquired a piano, but I really didn't consider myself a pianist until probably the early to mid 90s Did I start to get a grasp on the actual instrument of a piano. I was more of a keyboardist, played synthesizers and, and, and other various electric keyboards played with a band in town called the Raisins. That was an original music sure, band yeah. uh, that I was involved in from 79 until 85. So I had elements of rock and roll piano uh, played it after the Raisins. I played in some country bands that really upped my piano playing game. But like I was saying, Boogie Woogie is very particular, and so it was a lot of trial and error because nobody sat me down and said, okay, do this, do that, do this, do that. So leading to the workshop, that's what I hope to do is to break it down, and I have a, a fundamental nuts and bolts approach to how how Boogie Woogie is put together, how piano blues is put together, uh, and also I have a very simple way of looking at music theory, so you're not just going monkey see, monkey do. You understand how things are built. So that, that's what I plan to do in this workshop. And Boogie Woogie is a distinctive sound. You know it when you hear it, but where, where did it come from? Well, it came from a lot of places. A lot of it came from players down in Texas, which Moon Mullican was, coincidentally. And uh, there was a lot of pianists who were playing in the lumber camps up in the Piney Woods in Texas. There was a whole Santa Fe crew, piano players that were playing what you call barrel house piano. It's pre-Boogie Woogie. And really, the, the, the leaders in Boogie, what, what most people look to is the distillation of, of styles to, to a barrel house, uh, which is, I don't know, it's more a compositionally based form. It's not based in, in blues like like Boogie is, but uh, Albert Ammons from Chicago, Meadlux Lewis from Chicago, Clarence Pinetop Smith from Chicago, uh, 
Pete Johnson from Kansas City, who worked with Big Joe Turner, mm-hmm. made the original version of Shake, Rattle, and Roll. These guys were they were the architects of of this style so, of, of what we of how we know Boogie Woogie to be. So you so you mentioned Texas, and and now suddenly I've got these images in my head of a, an old western and a saloon, and, and some guy in the saloon playing the piano, and I can I can now kind of make a little bit of a connection there. We're talking about, you know, in, in my mind, something going back to the 1800s. But where, where does, where, can you put a, can you put a time frame? Can you put a, a decade on when Boogie Woogie really kind of came of its own? It was, uh, I think it was, it was in the 20s, like the later 20s. The whole idea of, of you know, we were talking about like of, a, of piano being played in these lumber camps, you know, where these, mm-hmm. these, Hard living, hard working guys would go to you know let off steam and and punch each other in the face and you know stuff right, like right, that. Right. you know so like uh, so the, the pianist you know they had a full upright like what you have here and uh, with the boards off of it and they're just beating the daylights out of it trying to make something rowdy. People say that boogie came came from a a simplification of the left hand because uh, styles like ragtime and stride with the Harlem stride like James P. Johnson, Fats Waller, Willie the Lion Smith, that was complex, involved a lot of wide intervals in the left hand and a lot of leaping around and where boogie was just like pounding out a rhythm like in eighth notes. Mm-hmm. Really, this is the beginning of rock and roll. Sure. So would you call it purely American, or are there outside influences that you could credit for Boogie Woogie? It's 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 a blues-based music, and so sure. much blues-based music is is traced to Africa. Yeah, you know, um, but but Boogie, you know, in its early incarnations, a lot of you know players um, in, in Texas, uh, you know, there was migrations up to the north around the times of World War One and World War Two. So, you know, a lot of people settle in Chicago. There's a town in Texas, Marshall, Texas. They call it the birthplace of Boogie Woogie, which I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> but, but do you know that there's some there, there's something to that? There's World's, a reason why you know whether it's completely true or not. There's a reason. There's got to be something there. Right. So. Well, there, it was the it was the yeah. it was the it was the the Texas players. Sure. And I, and I, and I want to get because you mentioned Moon Mullican uh, a moment ago, and I want to come back to Moon Mullican. But uh, as we're talking about the the, the roots of uh, Boogie Woogie, I want to talk a little bit, a little bit about the the branches that have come from that, and and some of what you have done over the past years, because I'm fascinated with um, what you've been doing the last several years going overseas to Paris and, and some of the people that you've been working with in Europe that it, where it's really caught fire in, some cer- in certain circles. So how, how did that come about? Well, in the U.S., Boogie, like a lot of cultures, it was, it was, a, a, it was a sub-genre, um, a culture like, like um, oh, what could you trace it to? I don't know, disco music. Mm-hmm. You know, it was a subculture, and then it reached the masses. So Boogie reached the masses through a big concert that producer John Hammond put on at Carnegie Hall, mm-hmm. put on a major concert called From Spirituals to Swing. And in that concert, he featured Mead Lux Lewis, Albert Ammons, Pete Johnson, all playing three grand pianos together. Wow. 
Yeah. So anyway, that was the start of the craze that brought. And and I got to say, too, a lot of this kind of music was born out of what you would call rent parties. So it's parties that people put on, uh, you know, once a month to like um, generate funds to pay their rent. So they'd make up some chicken wings and have some booze and and then piano players. I must say, too, this also is paralleled in in Harlem, too, where guys like Willie the Lion Smith and and. um, Fats Waller, James P. Johnson, they were just, just like they did in Chicago. These piano players kind of chase each other around a neighborhood. And these parties would go on till the birds were chirping, you know, so. Mm-hmm. Um, Sounds terrible. Yeah, it's awful. <laughs> <laughs> terrible. That was awful. <laughs> it's amazing, you know. And uh, so, so that's, uh, you know, a lot of it was, was born and, 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 and when and, was this? Formed there. This would be. Oh, you know, like like I said, like late twenties, okay, maybe around you know early thirties. But anyway, when when John Hammond found these guys and they were working at car washes and mm-hmm. stuff, you know, I mean they weren't even actively playing, and he wanted to bring them to the limelight. Then it became a craze, and then it became a fad, then it became watered down, and all the big bands had their boogie woogies and their little corny, you know, pieces that were, you know, it was just it was uh, the 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 origins were so potent that you know it all became watered down and then people stopped caring but in europe boogie woogie is a viable art form it's respected to this day there's little there's babies in strollers playing boogie woogie you know i mean it's like it's it's really amazing and is there a hotbed because i know you spent time in france and mm-hmm. in belgium correct right well a pianist from brussels named renaud patsini first brought me uh to to europe and then through his festival i started meeting a lot of other uh, pianists and then i started putting on my boogie summit so then i, I sure. established these exchange programs but over there it's you know and i asked the pianist Bob Seeley, who I mentioned earlier, who's now 89 years old, I asked him, why Why is it such a, a big deal? Like swing, mm-hmm. boogie, you know, uh, he says it's World War II era music for Europeans. It's the sound of freedom. Oh, wow. And I says, wow. I was like, ding. You yeah, know, <laughs> sure. And, but then, but it's really it's it's and and young people are playing this music, and the general public, uh, in Germany, in Switzerland, in Belgium, in France, in England, Spain. So it's everywhere. Yeah. Okay. Well, I want to I want to hear more about this. I want to hear more. We want to talk about Moon Mullican as well. And what you've got coming up in terms of uh, a tribute to Moon Mullican, a King Records artist at, here at Herzog Studio. But let's let's hear a song first. What's this first one you're going to play? All right. Well, something about Moon Mullican is he was influenced by a lot of these Texas pianists because he was from Texas. He was he was born into this scene, and these you know these pianists that played in. Um, you know, houses of ill repute or the lumber camps or whatever it was going on. He was inspired and he was um, also, you know, he was on his way to being recognized as, as one of the top blues piano players, white blues piano players around. So the, the piece I'm going to play, it's by a pianist they called Cripple Clarence Lofton. And it's an example of some barrel house style, a little pre boogie woogie elements of boogie, but, not not quite, you know. So so this is a piece that's called The Fives. It's a piece that's been passed around by a lot of piano players. And at the time, you had to be able to play this piece to like audition or basically like you had to know this tune to be 
taken seriously. So uh, once again, Cripple Clarence Lofton piece. It's called The Fives. It's Ricky Nye, Lost on the River. by Cripple Clarence Lofton. Once again, Ricky and I uh, here, Lost on the River. Now, every episode, I usually get into some of the Herzog or King history. We have a little bit Bill of... Bill Furby, ladies and gentlemen. That's right. Uh, thank you very much. Yes, yes. Sharp. I want to reintroduce you. Uh, and and, and we're, we're incorporating that, if you haven't uh, surmised that at this point, into Ricky's segment, because on uh, May 4th, here at Herzog, Ricky has a tribute to uh, King artist Moon Mulliken, who he mentioned before the break. Uh, and uh, uh, Ricky, if you'd like to tell us a little bit more about uh, Moon before getting into your next song, uh, we'd appreciate it. Sure. Well, he established himself as a King recording artist for approximately 10 years. He was from, he's a major star in the Texas Louisiana Gulf Coast scene, and he had his own group called the Showboys. And something important that I that that I read when I was looking up information about Moon was that he his group they made up what was largely known as as Western Swing. So, but they didn't call it Western Swing. 
other people did, but the folks in Texas, they called it East Texas Sock oh. or Texas Socko. Cool. So it was it was a it was a two beat rhythm with a big accent on the second beat. So it was like um well, you look at uh Tex Mex music, you know, conjunto music. It's a polka, right? You know, it's that two it's that ah, bah, bah, bah. Mm-hmm. so that was uh he was he was considered, you know, to be the the uh instigator of of western of western swing now moon of course uh king of the hillbilly piano players perhaps the household name uh major influence on this guy well he was a big influence on jerry lee lewis sure and there was another pianist who paralleled him his name was merrill e moore a a pianist in a western swing band playing boogie woogie okay cool singing so these guys had a big influence on jerry lee except he wouldn't necessarily admit to it (laughs) He might say, "Never heard from son." <laughs> uh, and uh, now I've heard some 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 rumors, perhaps uh, not confirmed, that uh, he uh, may had co-written uh, Jambalaya, Hank Williams' Jambalaya. Right. Yeah, I, I read this too. Yeah. So it's disputed. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, the, the uh, backstory is because of his contract with King. Uh, for that reason, he he may have not been able to acknowledge that. Who knows? Maybe we'll get to the bottom of that uh, another time, perhaps. Right. And and, and factually was uh, one of the highest selling King uh, Records artists. Yeah, yeah. He, um, you know, he he also was, uh, you know, he he was in a band called the Texas Wanderers, where he was basically the leader, but not the leader. He was playing piano and singing, but it wasn't under his name. Okay. Anyway, it's just kind of kind of interesting. Um, you know, he he was really he was influenced by a lot of blues players down from where he lived. Uh, but when you talk about the leading leading up to the the King history, he had he had some hits with. Well, he had a hit with a tune called called Jolie Blanc, which is a Cajun traditional three four Cajun piece. And he had he had Jolie Blanc. Then he had the new Jolie Blanc. Then he had. Jolie Blonde's sister. <laughs> so he, he really rode that wave, you the know. spinoff, yeah. Yeah. But, you know, he's very, very important. And, and the thing about him is he was That's such kind of like w- the X-Men franchise. Yeah. <laughs> Star Wars. Too. I don't know. You know, he, 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 he was a very versed pianist. He could go sit in with a jazz band. You know, he's playing on country sessions. He's playing, he's recorded polkas. You know, he's, he's really influenced by blues. He was very influenced by Bessie Smith, uh, Blind Lumber Jefferson, Leroy. A car, uh, you know these guys. Uh, you know had a big impact on him, and a and a pianist that he got to know named Shine. So there's a dispute about where he got his nickname from. Sure, because he would go, they would take turns playing on a gig, and so there's Shine, and then there's Moon. Also, also uh, said that maybe he got his nickname from his beverage of choice. Uh huh. Yeah. Moon, sure. Moonshine. You know. So yeah, Moon Malkin, man, is an important guy. You know, this is back when when. Roots music, it it had a wide scope. You know, you, it could encompass many different things. He would record ballads. You know, he did a lot of, a lot of, uh, you know, various styles and made it all his own. Very, very cool stuff. Uh, Ricky and I here here joining us, Lost on the River. Uh, the dates again, Thursday, March 29th, Boogie Woogie Workshop here at Herzog. Uh, we do have uh, a small donation for the for the entry. We have tickets available online if you'd like to secure your spot, and uh, here at Herzog Music, and the uh, Moon Mulliken Tribute uh, event Friday, 
May 4th, also here at the uh, Herzog Space. Right, and I'll be joined by Upright Bass's Chris Douglas. Fantastic. So the first part will be history, take a little break. Second part, we'll play We'll play a variety of tunes. Excellent. Moon would, stuff, yeah. Would you mind playing us out with one more song? Sure. Uh, this is a tribute to a pianist who had a big influence on me. He worked on the Delta Queen for many years, considered one of the last of the riverboat piano players, and he passed a approximately 10 years ago. He had played at the Arches Boogie stage at the Queen City Blues Fest, since he Blues Fest is called now, and at my Arches, at my uh, Blues and Boogie Piano Summit. And his name was Charlie Booty. He was from Milan, Tennessee. And he wrote this tune that I was so enamored by. It took me a long, long time to finally sit down and learn it just because I like to listen to it. Sure. <laughs> but it's called the Davenport Stomp. It's by the late, great Charlie Booty from Milan, Tennessee. Awesome. Thank you, Ricky. Thank you. Once again, thanks to Ricky Nye, uh, the Davenport Stomp. Always a pleasure to to see and, and hear Ricky Nye, of course. And uh, what a fantastic piano player! Yeah, he's he's put in a lot of practice. And Ricky is off to he's heading off to Vail tomorrow to play. Uh, he's doing his thing, a jazz, some fifty yeah, some, minute jazz. Yeah, he's a in Vail, Colorado. 
So we really appreciate Ricky coming in today and and doing that. And of course, he's coming up when? What, what are the dates again for these? Uh... Uh, here at the Herzog Space, he's he's doing a uh, boogie woogie clinic on uh, March 29th. That's a Thursday, and a tribute to King Records artist Moon Mullican uh, on Friday, May 4th. This Definitely is a mu- something you want to check out. This is a musician that is being flown to Vail, being flown to Paris to play Boogie Woogie all over the world, and he's coming he's in here. He's kind of a big deal. He is kind of a big deal. Yeah, mm-hmm. and so. right here in our backyard. Absolutely. Now, speaking of big deals here in the in the Queen City, uh, our guests uh, now, Miss Anzora Adkins and Kent Butts, joining us here, Lost on the River, the, the Herzog Podcast. Thank you so much. It's an honor and a thrill to have you here with us. Absolutely. Thank you. Ms. Adkins, uh, if you can begin and, and let us know your connection to the King space and uh, a little bit about that. Okay. I am uh, Anzor Adkins, the president of Evanston Community Council, where uh, King Studios is located. Sure. And also the chair of the King Studio Board. Okay. And of course, with that, that makes me very happy to be... Uh, after residing in Evanston 48 years to see the building in place. And Mm -hmm. now we are planning uh, the revitalization of the building and bringing back the legacy of what actually happened at King Studios at 1540 Brewster in Evanston and Cincinnati. Very exciting times. Yes. Uh, I'm Kent Butts. Um, my father is Otis Williams of Otis Williams and the Charms, mm-hmm. one of the major artists at the uh, King, and he still performs, and I try to perform with him yeah. every now and then. My whole situation is uh, as being a child of one of those artists, I try to look out for the artist, period. Most of them have passed away, unfortunately. Being a child in that format, I'm right in the middle of those that never even thought or heard about King to those that should have heard about King Mm -hmm. that live here. And I'm just speaking about Cincinnati that live right here. And they, I sometimes find myself going into schools to teach and talk about these type of things. And I find myself teaching the teacher Mm -hmm. because they have no clue that right around the corner is King records. Yeah. So my, my biggest thing with this is education. Yeah. And I thought it would be with kids, but it seems to be across the board. And that's my big thing that I do in trying to support and give back from my own. I'm a musician also, but I've slowed down on that somewhat, well, quite a bit because of Miss Atkins. Yeah. Down <laughs> quite a she, bit. She's got other things for you to do. Yeah. That's what you're telling me. That's exactly what I'm telling you. That's right. <laughs> she has other plans. <laughs> uh, uh, well, well, Kent, be, be, before we get back too much into the King stuff, uh-huh. as you said, you, you were a musician yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, your, your personal experiences? Um, actually, as a child, I wasn't planning on getting into music. It wasn't what I uh, fashioned, I really was more into tinkering with electronics and things like that. But when I was in junior high school, it was right when the busing situation started. And at that point, I lived downtown. Between my mother and I, we thought it was a good idea if I would reach out and go to different places. So at that point, I ended up going to a school called Walter Walter Peoples, which it's not there anymore, I think, Mm -hmm. as Walter Peoples, but it's out off of Erie, 
Okay. I think Erie Avenue. And that's where I got there and I was into sports, playing sports and things like that. But I needed an elective. And that became band class. So at that point, uh, there was a tuba left. Yeah. And that was a bassoon. Okay. Okay. So notice I'm saying all the big instruments that no little kid <laughs> wanted to carry around. Right. right. <laughs> and then there was one spot left for a trumpet. Okay. And my teacher, if I'm not saying it wrong, used to play with the symphony orchestra. I think his name was um, Mr. Lackey. He looked at me and he said, you have the armature, as far as my mouth, for a trumpet. Okay. Which was the last thing I wanted to play because I only saw three vowels and I was trying to figure out how do you get <laughs> a sound out of that? <laughs> you know, that's going to be crazy. Uh-huh. And uh, sure enough, he had about 20 of us there. I picked up the trumpet. I was the only one made a noise come out the trumpet. And from that point on, I took it up not thinking I was really going to deal with it, even though my father was a musician. Mm-hmm. That, for my childhood, that was not my focus. My focus for my mother was strictly education, mm-hmm. which uh, I give her all the praise and, and thanks because from where I, where I lived at, that was not necessarily the focus. Mm-hmm. The focus was survival. Yeah. Sounds like your mom was a smart woman. She understood that education Ooh. is survival. Ooh. I, I had no clue. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I was, you mm-hmm. know, I'm, I'm not saying I was a great kid, but I wasn't the worst one. Uh-huh. But my thinking was not that. Sure. You know, so she was even a little apprehensive knowing the situation of my father, being a musician, of me even going down that lane. But I told her I needed an elective, and that's how we got to that point. Speaking of education, Ms. Adkins, longtime educator. Yes. And uh, uh, now you, you have a vision for the educating neighborhood of Evanston. Yeah, that's our motto. Evanston, the education community where one can acquire an education from pre-K to a Ph.D. Excellent. And we have Xavier University, uh, Walnut Hills High School, 7 through 12, Latin folk. Not a bad high school. It's a great high school. My son graduated. Yes, indeed. I live in Evanston, and the the best thing is in the morning, all the kids walk into school. There's crossing guards on the street corners, and yes. all the kids walk to school. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. Miss Atkins, can I, I want to ask how you got involved with this King Records movement, for lack of a better word, uh, uh, being an advocate for the history of King Records in, in that space in Evanston. How did you first get involved? Kent, I got that figured out because uh, <laughs> you're your father. And not to say it's just that, but yeah. uh, but what was your connection to all this? And when did you get involved and, and how did that come about? Well, actually, I became involved when 71 Expressway split our community and uh, we lost a lot of families and, of course, that building is right there on Brewster, near 71, north and south. And I stood there on that bridge and just prayed, really. I said, please don't let them tear that historical building down because it will be a great focus one day to bring back the revitalization of the Evanston community where so many musicians got their start. And uh, they didn't demo it. And in 2008, it became a historical building. I retired from teaching in 2005. And uh, our community was just uh, 
considered an impoverished neighborhood. And I decided to really uh, acquire some partners to help us to revitalize the community and uh, became successful with it with a lot of partners. And we started in the Five Points area and so forth. But I still didn't dismiss in my mind the King uh, Studios project because it was such an integrated approach Mm -hmm. in our community where so many musicians got their start and so many different kinds of music. Mm -hmm. And this would be very, very important uh, for the uh, children in Evanston and surrounding areas to learn about the legacy and the history of music and how a lot of musicians got their start. And um, so we are now uh, working on that project, and uh, the uh, we have acquired the property mm-hmm. and so forth. Now we're working on the plans. And all of you know it takes time and money. Yeah. You got that right. Yeah. I think okay. one thing maybe we we need to hit just to make sure that people know cuz I think we we all are very aware and sure. I feel like we jumped ahead a little bit. Okay. Mm-hmm. But maybe people don't know that King Records was a recording studio in Cincinnati in Evanston. Mm-hmm. And it's it's argue, argue it's arguably the birthplace of multiple genres of recorded music. Well, yeah, Miss yes. Atkins even even uh, uh, mentioned that, how d- different genres, and mm-hmm. the lesson of King Records is, is, is music's just a part of it. Right. Yes. But but uh, humanity and relationships and race relations... Melting know, pot. At, 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 at a time when that was... together. When uh, it was uh, at during that time... It just wasn't an integrated approach. From the studio to the mailroom. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's I think sure. that's the integration there is something that I don't think people realize that was cutting edge. So there's like socially cutting edge, technology, technologically it was cutting edge, musically it was cutting edge. But there was a lot of right. absolutely a, a lot of things about it were cutting edge, and it was all happening here in Cincinnati pre a lot of other places that get more credit for it now. And I think that that is the legacy that Miss Atkins is trying to bring, you know, to the, to the table. Yes. Specifically. Well, and, and, and to speak of how far ranging, you know, this influence has been, uh, Kent, I, we had an, uh, an episode a, a couple weeks back where I brought up uh, your visit with uh, Sir Paul McCartney Oh yeah, of the Beatles. Yeah, uh, uh, you, you and your father and and Philip oh yeah, Paul, I, know him. But, I know him. Yeah, I totally know that guy. I know that you guy. Know who that is? Uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, first, I was going to uh, just ask if you could uh, describe a little bit of, of what that was like uh, and uh, reflecting on that as far as the, the importance of your father's career and King Records uh, in that context. Being a musician, I've met a lot of musicians in that lane of Paul McCartney, who obviously at this age and time still living is one of the top, but um, probably more so for me was the factor of my father and Mr. Paul mm-hmm. being able to be there along with Paul McCartney. Those songs that started Paul McCartney and Eric Clapton and that came from individuals that came from King 
with meeting somebody like Paul McCartney, who was true blue, at least in that meeting with us. And that meeting, for it to happen the way it did, everything came together within less than two hours. On his route here, he changed his plans to make sure he can fit in those King artists Yeah, to meet with them right before a show. Now, being in the music business, and most of you all have been around this stuff, that's a rare thing for a B-list, C-list artist. We get up there, everything's good. <laughs> Out comes the, and I wish I can remember Paul's uh, aide, excellent woman. She comes out, very courteous, gets us in. We go right through the crowd. We get down to where the wine and cheese is and all that type of stuff. We instantly are mingling with the band. Now, mind you, now I'm looking at my watch. The show's supposed to start at 8. I'm looking at my watch like, okay, we're at 7.30 now. This isn't going to happen. Now, all of a sudden, she says, okay, you guys ready? Me, my father, Mr. Paul, his wife, Elliot, his wife, the mayor, and his wife. Let's go. Stop us right in the middle of the uh, back hallway, tells us to stand there, wait. Out comes his photographer, his personal photographer. Mm -hmm. Looks at everything. Now it's about quarter till. Clear the hallway. All the guards, everybody's gone. Paul hops out his dressing room area. Hey, he's about from here to that back wall. (laughs) Hey, guys. (laughs) Just comes jogging down there. I'm like looking like, really? (laughs) You know what I mean? He's fully got his outfit on. He's going to go, because now he only only has about 10 minutes. Yeah, yeah. He's going to go on stage to go through all of that, have all this no rush. There was absolutely no rush. In his mind, he's going to go on stage to do a two-hour show. He came over, introduced himself to me, shook hands, took time, no rushing, went straight across to every one of us. He took a picture with myself, obviously a picture that you all have, and my father, Mr. Paul, and his wife. Then he just kind of walked away happily. At that point, they ushered us maybe 16 rows back, center, perfect seat. No kidding. As soon as I sat down, lights went off, came on, showtime. Wow. Wow. I have never, ever been a part of anything That's like incredible. that. Doing production, watching production, I've never seen anything like that. From an A-list artist like that, it's impossible. Well, when you're the best, I guess you got the best people. That's like a goosebump story. You know? right yeah. That was yeah. serious, man. I mean, <laughs> and I, I learned so much from that. Yeah. From an artist like that. Sure, right. Because his whole heart, the re- only reason he really did all of that he wanted to meet Otis Williams yeah. and Mr. Pop. That's it. That's the That's main it. thing. I mean, you got the... And that was my reason for saying that whole No story. other reason. That no was the other point. reason. Essentially, the most famous and accomplished living musician on planet Earth wants to take time out of, yeah. his, out of his routine to meet with these previous king artists... <laughs> That's because that's that how respect. Because that's, that's what a respect. boy. Because that's, that's what a it. big deal it was. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Wow. So he knows what a big deal it was. Yeah. Sure. So that's... I said that to be on record with if he knows that. Yeah. Like what myself and Miss Atkins always preach. Right. Respect. Mm-hmm. Respect. Yeah. And and respect and and history admiration. That's why we're all here. Sure. Correct. Uh, so. Uh, and I, I think vital to that is education, especially especially with younger. Yes, sir. Yes. Uh, now, I, you, and then uh, with this studio being revitalized, is providing creativity yeah. for the children. Yeah. And uh, they are our present and future. Sure. And, and your last visit here, yes. actually, we we had a uh, kids jam. I was so impressed with that. Isn't that neat? Yes, very neat. And well, I, we've got so a, it helps them to express their creativity. Sure. And decide 
what kind of instrument would I like to play? Exactly, yeah. Because he has all of them in this studio. Uh-huh. You know, as the King thing's percolating over where it's where it's at, we've been working here in, in Herzog to sort of build the pre-story. Right. Um, sure. Excellent. Working and, on- and, and, of course, now, of course, the early King Records artists would record at Herzog. Uh, in, in addition to non-King artists, but uh, so that's our direct connection with, with King th- from from this space. Um, but uh, speaking of the, the kids program, I know we have another one coming up in early April. Yes. Uh, ho- hopefully, you can join us again for that. By the I way, I hope to. I'll bring some barbecue for you again. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so you'll be here then. <laughs> okay. You will too. <laughs> but however. Um, King Studios uh, revitalization will mean so much to the Evanston community because it'll bring people in to our community and it'll be citywide, nationwide, really, mm-hmm. yeah. that we have brought this legacy back. And uh, we want to really uh, talk about it in a very positive manner because we're working diligently with the city in plans to revitalize that area. And it means a lot to Evanston community and the city. As uh, Nathan said, uh, King Records is is as important to Cincinnati as the Ohio River. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yes. And we really appreciate being here. And uh, when I see uh, action happening, it just lights me up. (laughs) Sometimes I can't even think and sleep (laughs) because it's so important. And our youngsters really need some positive things, see some positive things happening. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I really feel that this will be a positive approach for our children, and especially working with the School of Performing Arts and so forth, and having our vice chair here, Kent Butts, that uh, is a walking legacy (laughs) of King Studios. Sure. Uh, now, is is it true that uh, both of you are working on a potential upcoming Herzog program to uh, perhaps update folks on the latest with King Records, uh, perhaps emphasizing the civil rights history in, in particular? Yes, with uh, Elliot, with Elliot Rufin. Yeah. Yes. Um, we haven't laid everything out on what we're going to do yet, but that is one of the first phases. Let's put it that way. That's not going to be it. Sure. But that's definitely something, which is, that's a long story. Now, we did something. Now, back when the music store downstairs first opened, we had an event up here uh, called the State of King. Correct. Where mm-hmm. And I remember speaking with you both at that event. Yes. And, and that was an afternoon event, basically, where anybody could come in and say, I, I don't know what's going on with this story. I'm hearing a lot of different, different things. Uh, and uh, it was a great exchange of information. Uh, a, a wealth of, of, of stuff to, that came out and a lot of great people involved mm-hmm. to meet and, and discuss. So I'm really looking forward to this this next incarnation of that. Yes. Uh, so It would be nice for that, particularly now with the Herzog building, doing all these different things in here, uh, professional music stores, lessons and things like that, kids to 80-year-olds. I would like to somehow try to get a regular of what that was because what that did, the door was wide open. Sure. And you had everything from pros to people that had no clue. Mm -hmm. And when they all came together, 
that conversation, I think we were supposed to be here like maybe 45 minutes yeah, to an it, hour. Yeah, it went over. It yeah. went way over, but it, really did. it was nothing, you know, that's what it needed to do. So I think it would be, I don't know if you got, I probably just gave you some more work, but. <laughs> but uh, you need something. This, this is the work I love to do. So, so I think it would be excellent yeah. to at least maybe once every other month, you know, I don't want to push it or a quarterly or something, but that was a excellent situation. I would be more than happy to see that happen. You just let me know as your schedule allows. No doubt. Uh, that, that's easy for me to schedule and, and uh, make sure the space is ready. And I know in the past I've invited, uh, I've invited uh-huh. both of you. Yes. Any of our events that you see on the calendar, uh, if you'd like to be have a presence at, at whatever the event is and okay. perhaps speak uh, or, or just be there as a witness mm-hmm. uh, to what's happening, please consider yourselves invited each and every time. Thank you. And, uh, Appreciate and, it. And, uh, you know, of course, you know you know where to reach me. And, uh, and uh, Yeah, we know where all of you are now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can't hide now. We love partners, especially Absolutely. paying partners. Uh-huh. <laughs> Those are the best partners. Uh-huh. You see why I hang with her? Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, yeah. She's tough. Hey, I'm it. telling you right I now. I've met her the first time at the building department. Oh, there uh, you go. Or whatever that it was, was the historic yeah. department there thing. Yes. That that lady is tough, man. <laughs> I don't want you on my on my bad side. I tell you that. Well, I try to be an active listener. In, inspirational is better yeah, than saying yes, tough. And, How about uh, that? That sounds yes, and being very together and showing respect to everybody because we all have strengths and weaknesses, and we can help each other, providing we come together in the right manner. Amen. Yes. Mm-hmm. We are happy to be here because uh, Ken and I have been on the run for King all day. That's all right. <laughs> yes. Uh, and, 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 and again, thank you very much. It's been an honor and a, and a privilege to have you here. Sure. Especially given your, your schedule today, which I've been <laughs> deprived right. of. So. Yes. What it, it, we're here now. You know, I mean, <laughs> yes. no so. sense in stopping now. You bet. <laughs> and we hope you invite us back. Well, thank you both yeah. so much for being here. Yeah. It's been a lot of fun. I know I've learned a lot. Yes. And we definitely need to get them back for sure, Bill. For yeah, bye. I think we can make that happen. Put that on your calendar? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. for sure. It's already yeah. on the calendar. Okay. <laughs> Consider it done. All right. We appreciate you. Thank you once again to you both. Kent Butts and Anzora Atkins, uh, both really key figures in the in the King Records preservation debate. Uh, big thanks to our sponsors, the Thunderdome Restaurant Group, bringing you favorites like the Eagle, Maplewood Kitchen and Bar, Kruger's, and Bakersfield. Also, thanks to Autos in Covington and Eli's Barbecue, the Cincinnati USA Music Heritage Foundation. Thanks to Clint Stevenson, our producer, Matt Spalding, and of course, All Seeing Eyes for our theme music. My name is Aaron Sharp, Elias Leisring, Bill Furby, producer Matt Spalding. Join us once again next time when we get Lost on the River from Red Sox Studios. Yeah.